All right, you ready to get after it? Go ahead and have a seat and grab your Bibles. And um, this is our final message in the series, Blessings from the Mountains. So let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter five. five. Thank you very much. Let's go there. This is going to be our last week um, working on this message. And um, it's only taken us, guys, eight weeks to get through the introduction of Jesus' message, Jesus' great sermon on the mount found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Um, but today we bring it to a close, and I'd like to start by reading um, the whole passage that we've been working on, the first 12 verses of, uh, of Matthew 5. So let's start with Matthew 5, verse 1 through 12, okay? We're going to be actually working on verses 10 through 12 in our message today. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you." So that's our passage, and we're going to be working on verses 10 through 12 today. If you've been with us through this, and you've heard me say many times that the Beatitudes are doing two things. They're showing us how to enter into, how to get into the kingdom of heaven, and then they're also showing us how to change our minds and our hearts that will end up changing our behaviors. Jesus isn't just okay with us um, in behavior modification because he knows that what comes out of the heart is what we do. It's the... It's the overflow of the heart that comes out in our actions in the world. And so he's working on us, on an inward man and then the outward man as we work through the first half and the back half of these Beatitudes. We've learned this, that in order to enter into the kingdom, some things have to happen inside of you. And the first is that you have to be poor in spirit, which means that you become aware of your spiritual bankruptcy. You become aware of your sinfulness. And because you are aware of that, you mourn over your sin, which is the mindset that is necessary in order for true repentance to come, which is required for salvation and required for entrance into his kingdom. We then come to God on our knees in meekness. This is what we've been learning. We come to God on our knees. We come to God humbly not full of ourselves, not like, look at me, I've, like, I've done all the things you've asked, I've, I've obeyed all the Ten Commandments, let me into your kingdom. That's not how we come to God. We come to him on our knees in true humility, void of pride, void of arrogance, and self-reliance, and self-righteousness. And then when we get to that place, Jesus says, you will hunger and thirst for righteousness, And once in the kingdom, then it starts to flip. Once we get into the kingdom, then we will continue to hunger and thirst for righteousness because he's going to place his Holy Spirit in us, in our hearts, to minister to us in order to help us hunger and thirst for continued righteousness in him. 
Let me show you how these Beatitudes line up. We've done this once before. I wanna show it to you again just as we kind of encapsulate all that we have been learning because the first half line up with the second half. Okay, we've got four and four, and here's how they work. Those who are poor in spirit, they realize that they are spiritually bankrupt beggars who are then willing to give of themselves to other bankrupt beggars around them, and therefore they become the merciful. The mourner is broken over his sinfulness, and because of that brokenness will wash his heart pure, therefore becoming the pure in heart. The meek, in their humility, will always have a heart to seek peace, therefore they become the peacemakers. And this is what we're gonna work on today. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and by the way they live, produce fruits of righteousness, will end up being those who are persecuted for the very righteousness that they're hungering and thirsting for. As I've thought about this and I've looked at this, how strange is it, look at verse nine, that in absolute contrast to verse nine, which is blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus actually fires up on verse 10 with blessed are the persecuted. How odd is that? I've been, I've been kind of wrestling with that, except to know, and I need you to understand that words matter to Jesus. This is his word. This is the word of God, and these words matter, and the order in which things are presented to us, they had, Jesus didn't just flippantly make up the introduction to his sermon. He knows exactly why he put things together the way he put them together, and so there's a very specific reason that he wants us to know why verse 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers, so we ought to be peacemakers, but then he fires up with, and blessed are the persecuted. So we're going to look at how those two things come together, and what Jesus is saying is this. If as a true Christian, and let me, just, let me just say this so I don't have to keep saying it throughout. I'm talking about all through this, and, and the, the message of the Beatitudes, and actually the whole Sermon on the Mount, is speaking to true believers. Not people who are putting on a show, or people who are seeking God. These are people who are in Christ. And so what Jesus is saying is, as a true Christian, if you actually begin living out the Beatitudes, then you will be both a peacemaker and a troublemaker. That's why I I, I titled the sermon, When when Peacemakers Become Troublemakers. And we're gonna work on that. Paul said it like this in 2 Timothy 3.12. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Words matter, okay? Remember that. And so whenever Paul writes down this scripture that says if you have a desire, if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, like Jesus said, you are going to suffer persecution. You can write it down that you're going to suffer persecution of one one level or another. (laughs) How excited are we? Are you cranked up? Are you excited? Persecution's coming your way. You know, I'm okay with coming to church and finding out that I, you know, being challenged, live for Jesus. Live a life of righteousness. Live a life of purity. Until you tell me that the more I do that, the more sure it is that I'm going to suffer persecution. Because who wants to suffer? No, seriously, who wants to suffer? 
<laughs> okay? Why is nobody raising their hand? By the end of the service, my goal is that if I ask you who wants to suffer, you're all gonna go, yes, it's me. Okay, I got a lot of work. I got a lot of work to do to get you uh, to that point. Oh, how can these both be true? How could it be true that peacemakers turn into troublemakers? How, do, how does that work? And, and how does peacemaking draw down the trouble and suffering of persecution? I mean, aren't we, we're supposed to be nice, right, as believers? Kind, okay. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, goodness, patience. I don't remember all the rest of them. There are nine of them. When we live those things out, aren't those nice things? Patience and love and joy and kindness. And when, you know, if you're truly are living the Christian life, then you're having the attitude of Christ. And the attitude of Christ is selflessly giving of yourself to meet the needs of everyone around you. Well, if, aren't you gonna be like the most popular guy on the planet, the most popular woman on the street, if all your life is filled with kindness and loving kindness and sacrificial giving of yourself to meet the needs of all your relatives and all of your neighbors and all the people in the church and all the people of the world, the people that you work with and the people that you go to school with, you're gonna end up being the most popular person on the planet. Well, that's what I think. Why would you be mad at me? Why would you not like me? Why would you not respond positively, Matt, if I'm serving you and I'm doing everything I can to love you and be kind to you and take care of you? Why would you not like me? What's going on with this whole thing? Why is it that peacemakers that Jesus is teaching us will end up being troublemakers in the world? How can Paul and Jesus actually make such counterintuitive claims? Because my brain, that does not compute with my brain. If people are nice to me, I, I'm like super guilty, feeling super guilty if I'm not nice back to them. So how can they do this? It's because they know something that maybe we might be learning for the first time today, but this is what Jesus and Paul both know. They know that because of the tension between the way of life of a true Christian and the way of life of that of a person of the world makes conflict inevitable. They're like two trains on the same track and they're heading straight for a head-on collision. Jesus and Paul are teaching us that sooner rather than later, a true Christian, remember we're talking about true Christians here, who are sold out, committed to living the beatitude life will be mistreated, they'll be misunderstood, they'll be hated, actually, for the things that we believe and the way that we live, and they'll actually hate us because of the salvation and transformation that will come to people's lives that we are seeking to bring salvation to through the gospel of Jesus. We, I, we, we studied this last week. Remember Paul and Silas when they went to Philippi? So Paul and Silas, they're just, all they are is armed with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They show up in Philippi, this town that has never heard the gospel before. They've never heard the good news. And one of the first people they run into is this girl who's demon-possessed. And so because she was demon-possessed and because she was totally being mistreated and abused 
and misused by the men in her life. They had compassion on her. They shared Jesus with her, the words of life, and they delivered her from this bondage of this demon and set her free. You would think that the whole country, that the whole town would be like, this girl has been in bondage her whole life and now she's free. How awesome are these guys? But instead, in Acts chapter 16, verse 23, it says that as soon as they set her free, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped, severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. Wow. Where is that coming from? Where does that hatred come from? Well, the message for us today is all of you (laughs) who are earnestly committed to putting God first in your work, putting God first in your home, putting God first at your school, putting God first in your leisure, putting God first in your life are going to bring upon yourselves the suffering and the hatred of persecution. The message is we don't know when it will come, we just know that it will come. That is, are you listening? Do I still have your attention? That is if you're living the righteous life of the Beatitudes. We might ask this question as we keep moving forward here, why do they hate us so much? Let's work on that, okay? Because I don't really fully understand why they would have such a response until I go deeper into the scriptures to understand what is truly going on. The short answer is, according to Jesus, because you're hungry and you're thirsty for righteousness and because you stand for and your life proclaims the name of Jesus. According to Jesus, your hunger and thirst, when it manifests itself out in the real world in the way that you're living with other people, People will bring down fire upon your head and it will come from those who don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this is really harsh, okay? And this is just for us as believers to talk about here. You don't talk about this like outside there when you're dealing with people who don't know the Lord. But the reality is that, well, let me put it this way. If when you come to Christ and you repent of your sins, you become poor in spirit and you mourn over that and that mourning turns into repentance and you, you, ask for repent, you, you ask for the forgiveness, you receive the forgiveness and you come into Christ, you are a new creation and you now become light in darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world and if you come to me and you're part of me, then you will become children of light. And then he says, you are now, because I am in you, you are now the light of the world, so go shine your light, right? Okay, well, on the other side of this are the people who don't know the Lord, and the Bible calls them children of darkness. Now, that sounds really harsh. I'm not, I didn't make that up. That comes straight from the scripture, And the children of darkness, the Bible tells us, hate all that is light. They especially hate the children of light. Jesus said in Matthew 5.11, look at it. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. What are the next three words? 
Come on, say them out loud. Because of me, because of who? Because of Jesus. Why do they hate you so much? It's because you are coming down on the side of Jesus. You declare and proclaim his name. Your life shouts the name of Jesus. I love that song. Shout Jesus from the mountain, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in our families, Jesus everywhere. And when, you, when your life shouts Jesus, the world is going to hate you. It's because of him, Matthew 24, 9. Jesus said, you won't just be hated by your friends, you won't just be hated by your relatives, you won't just be hated by your schoolmates, you won't just be hated by your work associates or your neighbors, you will be hated by all nations. What are the next three words? Say them out loud. Because of me. All of the virtues we've seen in the Beatitudes, all of them summed up cannot be tolerated by a world that is driven and controlled by the one who is against and hates all that is Christ and Christ's righteousness. His name is Satan. Now this is, again, this is very harsh. We're talking about children of the darkness. But when the people of the world hate us, we're talking about why do they hate us so much, okay? When the people of the world hate us for doing good things for them, what is actually happening? Well, Jesus describes it like this. He says, they're just doing the will of their father, the devil. These are not words you use if you're evangelizing the lost. You don't go out with this message, you know, you're a child of darkness and you're just doing the work of your father, the devil. Come to Jesus. That won't work, okay? They'll hate you even more if you go at it like that. I'm giving you, I'm arming you with knowledge so that you can have a heart of compassion for these people that are going to persecute you. Because you don't get persecuted by the direct hand of Satan himself. You're gonna be persecuted, you're gonna be hated, you're gonna be lied about, you're gonna be mistreated and misunderstood by people who are living under the control of their father, the devil, who has been at work from the very beginning of the time of his rebellion, where he fell from heaven, where he's been at work trying to stop everything that is righteousness, trying to stop everything that God is trying to do, and he's going to use the people in the world who are under his control and are being blinded by him, their eyes and their ears, they're blind and they're deaf to the gospel, they don't understand the things of God, and so they're gonna come against the things of God because they don't like what they see in us because we expose their darkness. That is what's going on. That is why people hate us. If you embrace purity, your life will be an attack on free sex in our community. If you pursue self-control, you will expose indulgences of all kind. If you put on meekness, you will shine a spotlight on the pride or the evil of pride. And if you are spiritually minded and you speak those things, you will expose worldly mindedness everywhere that it pokes up its head. And here's what I want you to understand. Satan has planted deep into the hearts of those who don't know Christ a hatred for those of us who want to live in his righteousness. And Jesus is making it clear that those who are obedient and live the righteousness of Christ in this world are actually going to be obnoxious to the people of the world because our lives will be obnoxious 
to Satan himself. Second Corinthians 2, Paul says it like this. Our lives, this is talking about Christians living the beatitude life. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom, and that's not pleasant. I thought about spending some time talking about the smell of death. Those of you who are deer hunters, you'll understand what I'm talking about. So I'm not gonna talk anymore about that. But to those who are perishing, to those who don't know the Lord, our righteousness is obnoxious to them. It's a stench in their nostrils. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. When you and I decide to be godly and live that in every area of our lives, when you put on righteousness, they're gonna hate it. It's gonna stink to them. And you're going to get one of two reactions and responses by the people around you. I wanna show you what those two are in John chapter three, verse 20, okay? Verse 20 gives us the first response. All who do evil, these are people that are all outside of Christ, all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. There's the first response. They hate the light, they reject the light, they run from the light, it stinks to them, and they don't wanna have anything to do with it. What's the reason why? Why does it say it's a reason here? It's because your light will expose their darkness, the darkness of their sin. They don't wanna be part of that. But there's a second response. But for those who do what is right, this is after the, the response to your light, they will come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. There's two responses to you shining your light and living righteously before the people in the world. They're either gonna hate you and persecute you or they're gonna come to conversion to faith in Christ. They will either hate you, verse 11, and mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all kinds of evil things about you, or they will, Matthew 5, 16, glorify your Father who is in heaven. They will come to the light. One of two things is gonna happen with people in your world, persecution or conversion. Now, here's the next question. So that, that's answering the question, why do they hate me so much? Are you okay so far? All right, this one might sting a little bit. Like when you go to the doctor and the nurse comes in and she's gonna give you a shot and she goes, this is gonna sting a little bit. This one might, I'm coming with a shot, okay? You ready? Some of you might be asking to yourself right now as we're working through this, I don't have any persecution in my life. Everybody in my world likes me. So the question is, why do they like me so much? My family likes me. I'm talking about the unsaved people in my family. My neighbors like me. 
My work associates like me. My friends like me. The guys on the motorcycle gang like me. It's because I'm nice. It's because I'm doing nice things for everybody. What's going on if you don't see any persecution or conversion going on with the unbelievers in your life? Come back next week and I'll finish this. And <laughs> uh, it's possible, there, there's two possible explanations. If everyone in your life likes you and you're not seeing conversions or persecution, two possible things, and the first one might be this. Your light might be under a bushel. Remember that little song we used to sing in Sunday school? This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Remember the next part? Hide it under a bushel. No, no. Why do we respond like that and teach the kids that? How stupid is it to light a candle and put it under a bushel? That's what Jesus' point was when he told this story. That's ridiculous. You're the light of the world. No one lights a candle and puts it under a bushel. That's stupid. Why did you light the candle? To hide the light? No. You light the candle and set it up high so that it will illuminate everyone in the room and provide light for everybody to see. It should be like a light on the hill, a city on a hill, so that the whole world can see and be drawn to the light. Hide it under a bushel? No. That's not what we're supposed to do, but some of you might be doing that. And in so doing, you're keeping the stumbling, of the stumbling block of the gospel message to yourself. hard for me to understand because I am a believer. It's hard for me to understand why the gospel is a stumbling block, but that's what the Bible tells us. The, the, for those who don't believe, the, the gospel makes no sense at all, and Satan has them right where they want them. It's like stupid, this thing of the gospel, and it becomes a stumbling block to them. Galatians 5.11, Paul says this, if I were to no longer preach salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. If I don't want to offend anybody, all I got to do is stop preaching the hard part of the gospel, which is the, through the cross and through the death of Jesus Christ. In fact, he says in chapter 6, verse 12, there are some who don't want to be persecuted, and so they stop teaching the cross of Christ alone for salvation. It's possible, my friends that the reason you don't, aren't seeing any conversions or persecution is because you've stifled your light and you need to get the bushel off. I don't know what it is that you're using to hide your light. And just, let's just be real and get it off and start shining your light. You're a light of, of Christ. You're the child of light. Shine your light. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. That's what he wants from us. But probably it's this. Here's the second possible solution or explanation of that. 
is that the unbelievers around you are on the move towards one of, or the other of the two poles that we have talked about, either persecution or conversion. They're just moving in that direction. Let me, let me stop for a second and help you with this. Um, these opposing responses, they don't typically happen immediately, and sometimes it depends on where you live. Because there are some places in the world that if you stand up, if, like if you went downtown Elkhart today and you stood on the corner and began talking to people and saying things like, hey, I'm, we're praying for some people. Could we pray for you today? Is there something we could pray for you about? Yes. And when you get done praying for that situation, you may say, can I share with you um, like the best news that ever happened to me? And you start sharing Jesus with them. Probably they're not going to gather a mob strip you naked, start whipping and beating you severely and then throw you into prison. Not yet. But if you did that downtown Chicago, it would look, might look differently than it does downtown Elkhart. If you did it downtown New York City, it probably would look different. If you did it on the campus, right in the middle of the campus of MIT or the University of Pennsylvania or Harvard, it will look much different than anywhere else, tongue in cheek. It certainly would look really different if you did it downtown major city in China or in Russia or in North Korea. You get the point, right? Thank God we live in a country still where it's not as hostile to the gospel. Um, and so it's possible that what's happening in our lives is that people are moving. They're either, they're either moving because you are living the righteous life before them. They're either moving towards conversion or they're moving towards persecution. It's just not coming fast upon you. One, one pastor wrote like this. He called it the gestation period. And I want to show you this quote because I love it. The gestation period for the new birth may be nearing a happy end. So it's coming. Or the storm of hatred may be getting ready to break against you. But in either case, you can be very confident something is going to happen. Why do we say that? Because of Matthew 5.11. 5, 11. five nine or 10 and 11, you're going to suffer persecution. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Paul says, for all those who want to live godly will suffer persecution. It is coming, and if it's not coming, it's either because you stifled your light or the people are on their move towards conversion or towards persecution. That verse, 5.11, actually sounds more like a curse than a blessing, you know? <laughs> Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. That doesn't sound like a blessing to me, but there is a blessing attached to it when they do it. But you can escape it if you want. I'm giving everyone an escape route, okay? Like, I'm not liking this sermon, I don't want to be persecuted. Persecution's not on my bucket list. I don't want it. You can get out of it. I'm going to give you an out right here, okay? In fact, you can go through your whole life and never experience persecution. All you have to do is give your nod of approval to the standards of the world. 
All you have to do is accept the world's systems and morals and ethics, live like they live, don't tell the truth, don't tell people that they are sinners, don't tell them that they're lost without Jesus Christ, don't tell them that they will die and go to a place called hell where they will be tormented day and night in unquenchable flames, but that they could be saved if they just knew the truth. Don't tell them that Jesus is the only way and every other religious system is a lie. Don't tell them that. Don't separate yourself from them. Instead, dive into their activities, go along with them, laugh at their jokes, enjoy their entertainment, smile when they mock God. Don't take a stand against ungodliness, and I promise you, I promise you, you'll never experience persecution. But if you do that, there's no reward for you from Jesus. We're gonna talk about the reward right now. Instead, there's a warning. The warning comes in Luke 6, 26, where Jesus says, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. That's a tough verse right there. The reason Jesus says that is because Jesus knows that there, is, there are two trains on the same track heading for a collision. There's your life and righteousness and the ungodly. So if everyone speaks well of you and everyone likes you, something's very wrong with the way that you're living. Want to know where the reward comes from? Look at verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Here's verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. Yeah, right. <laughs> but we can. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. How can I rejoice and accept persecution with joy? Because Jesus promised I will be richly rewarded. Great is your reward. Can I tell you what Jesus is actually saying here? Here's what he's saying. The reward of heaven will far outweigh any suffering you will endure on this earth. So rejoice. You're only here for a little bit of time. You're only gonna suffer for a little bit. Your life is a mist, it's a vapor, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Life is short, but eternity is long. So rejoice. Heaven's rewards that are waiting for you are your compensation for your suffering while you're on earth. In fact, this is what he's saying. If you really study this down into the depths of the Greek language, this is what he's actually saying. I want you to know that the more you suffer, the larger your reward. The more your faith is tested, the greater your reward. Look at Matthew 19, 29. Jesus says, and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property, get this now, for my sake, for my name, will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Who wants to suffer? Come on, people. Woohoo! This is awesome stuff. If you suffer, and the more you suffer, the greater your reward. Who wants to suffer? Yeah, see, you still aren't there. It's because we're human. It's because we're like, I don't want to suffer. 
I want all the good, I don't want any of the bad. But Jesus is saying, if you do the good and you live the good because of the system of the world and Satan in the middle of that system, it's gonna be bad for a while. But don't worry, that's just so small, it's so short. As you suffer, I'm rewarding you. And when you get home, you're gonna have this pile of reward because you've endured the suffering. You've endured the persecution. You haven't let the persecution stop you from the beatitude life. Come on, you guys. Who wants to suffer? Well, I do. No, I don't. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Yes, I do. (laughs) It's hard for us. But how awesome is it that he... He lets us know there's this great reward. He hangs it out there for us. Hey, you're gonna suffer, but if you suffer for my name's sake, I'm gonna greatly reward you. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. That's because Paul understood what this life is, that this life is so short. And he had his head in heaven. He had his heart in heaven. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they will produce for us, this is what Jesus is getting at, a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. It's just like nothing. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. Here's what Jesus is saying. Live like the true children of God that I have made you to be and you're gonna suffer for it, but if you'll hang in there, I've got some great rewards for you when you get here at the home that I have prepared for you. Or as Peter said, you'll receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. Jesus wants we, his disciples, to desire the eternal rich rewards of heaven over the temporary dingy, stinky things this earth has to offer. These pleasures of this world are nothing compared to the glory in heaven. Jesus wants our hearts set on heaven. He wants our hopes set in heaven. He wants our longings to be set in heaven. He wants our joy to be set in heaven. And this is our only true joy, the promise of the rich rewards that the Lord will give us on that day if we just endure, if we persevere. Through all of it, if we live the beatitude life, you'll be blessed. That's what Jesus said. Extremely happy. Great happiness will come your way if you live the way the kingdom people live. It's gotta be hard. You're gonna suffer persecution for it, but it'll be worth it. I promise you it'll be worth it. Well, I'm done. There it is. We finished the introduction of Jesus' sermon. It's been a great journey for me. I don't know if it has been for you or not, but it's been a great journey for me. Um, I want to ask, you know, are you beginning to understand what the Beatitudes are calling you to? You know, we are so We struggle with putting on this kind of righteousness, but hopefully you're beginning to understand what Jesus requires of us. That it isn't the rich or the proud or the powerful or the self-sufficient or the important or the people of the earth that are gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. It's quite the opposite. 
It's the poor and the meek and the sorrowing and the humble and the hungry and the thirsty and the sincere peacemakers and those who are being persecuted. Those are the ones who will enter the kingdom. So I want to ask you as we close out the day today, um, I want to start by asking or talking to those of you who might not know Jesus. You might be here in the room. You might be um, visiting with us online, joining us online. I don't know where you're sitting. I don't know where you are. Um, And maybe in that place where you are, maybe where you're sitting right now, in your heart, as I'm speaking, you're like, I... I'm not in Christ. <laughs> After a sermon like today, you might be saying, I'm not sure I want to. There's all this persecution talk and everything. Um, but in your heart of hearts, you just know that I just, I'm not in Christ yet. I haven't come to that place where I have understand I'm poor in spirit. I understand my brokenness. And I understand my sinfulness. I haven't repented and humbled my heart before the Lord. I just want to say to you that you're here today hearing this message and also hearing the invitation that salvation can be yours today. The Bible said, it sounds like gloom and doom in this kind of message, but the whole rest of the gospel message is this, lost people get found in Jesus. Broken people get fixed. Lost Blind, deaf people receive their sight and receive their hearing and they, they're awake, awakened to the things of God. And, and the Bible says that when you come to Jesus, all the old is gone. He's forgiven your sins and the old is gone and all things become new in Jesus Christ. That could happen for you today. If you're online with us, Reach out to us. Our prayer team is waiting for you. Just reach out to us and say, I want to find Jesus today. I want to give my heart to the Lord. If you're here in the room and you want Jesus today, you can do it on your own. You can ask for his forgiveness. We would love to help you with that. If you want to help with that, come to the front afterwards. We have a prayer team of people that will be down here. would love to share that with you. But for the rest of us who do know him, are you willing to pay the price Are you committed to paying the price of living the beatitude life? Are you you willing to live out the kingdom living even if it brings persecution on your head? Are you willing to take up the cross life, to take the cross like Jesus did and live that life like he did? Are you willing to suffer the loss of all things this earthly realm has to offer in order to gain the glory of the eternal kingdom? I guess what I'm asking is, are you willing to pay any price to follow the life of Jesus? Because this is the life Jesus is inviting us to live. This is the message of the Beatitudes. And only these kinds of people Those who live out the Beatitudes will be the ones who are able to change the world for his glory. Stand with me as I um, close out with these words. I want to use these words um, from a man who was murdered 
for standing up for Jesus and for boldly proclaiming the gospel truth. His name is Jim Elliott. And he wrote these words, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And um, we need your help in this, Lord. I first pray for those who need salvation that you'll, by your spirit, you'll open up their hearts today, that you'll take the blinders off of their eyes, that you'll drop the control that Satan and their sin has on them, and that you'll open, do what you did for me, Lord, so many years ago. Visit me with your Holy Spirit. Breathe life into them. Help the gospel to make sense to them and bring salvation to their hearts today. For the rest of us, we just ask that you'll help us, Lord. Um, We're weak. We don't like to suffer. But help us to understand the glory and the privilege that it is to suffer for your name and to, like the Bible says, to um, enter into and partake in the suffering that you suffered for us. Help us to realize, have our heads in heaven and realize that the time we have on this earth is so short and the things that we will suffer here are so small compared to the glory that will be revealed to us someday. So help us to walk in your spirit and to walk in the power of your spirit as we go from this place. Help us to shine our lights brightly. No one, no one covering their 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 light with a bushel. Lord, none of us doing that. All of us going out and shining brightly no matter what the cost. And we trust you to strengthen us in the process. Strengthen our faith and use us powerfully as we go. In Jesus' name.